good we have a place. Wow, there I am. Um, that is raising up our kids missionally, both local and global. Um, and and just that they would have through that, that that also ends up being a magnet to who they're being missional to locally to invite them into something bigger uh, than themselves. Maybe we should just start doing Harvest Kids on Sundays with everybody because I think that would be good for all of us. Um, but my name's Matt, and uh, I am high school youth pastor here uh, at Harvest. And I don't know if you guys have had those weeks that are just those weeks before, uh, but as I was preparing for this sermon, um, th- Thursday I open up my Surface, and um, I'm a Mac fan, by the way, but, and this is why, and uh, everything I had was gone uh, for the sermon, and I don't say that for you to feel bad for me, um, or to cut me some slack, even though that would be nice, um, but uh, I need so much help from the Holy Spirit this morning, and and it's funny that sometimes losing something, uh, as silly as my notes, could make me realize it, right? That I probably would have thought I was really good to go um, if my notes had stayed with me the entire week. Um, and it's not just me that needs the Holy Spirit to help me this morning. We all do. Like, if we're going to take away anything good uh, from, from what this passage has to say, from anything that I would have to say this morning, um, I'd ask that you pray with me as I pray now uh, for the Holy Spirit's help to be our teacher, to be the one that's counseling us, to be the one that's revealing truth uh, from his word, right? Um, and, and if I can be a mouthpiece, awesome. But I trust that God's going to do more in your hearts than what my words uh, can say. So please, as I pray, pray with me in that. Lord, we need your help. Uh, God, we need uh, your guidance and your truth, Jesus, for you to reveal it to us. Holy Spirit, would you would you soften all of our hearts so that we can learn? Would this not just be a time that that we're, we just go to church? Um, but God, we want to grow more into your likeness. Um, as we sang, Lord, we want you to be our one thing. Uh, we want you to be... Um, everything, and for everything else to to fall to nothing so that you would be the one filling us up, giving us what we need. Lord, I have no idea what each person needs this week or this month or this season of life. So if you would see to it, God, that there would be something I could share to encourage someone or, um, yeah, to just to, to bless my brothers and sisters. God, would you do that this morning? Because I, I can't do it without you. In your name, amen. Wow, it's going to be a rough one. <laughs> um, so we are going through the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, we also just recently went through 1 Timothy. And um, as we approach Timothy, and we share, we've shared this a couple, couple weeks ago, uh, we've been looking at, at this through the lens of discipleship because Paul has, has been writing to Timothy as his mentor, as, as the guy that raised him up as a follower of Jesus because now Timothy is leading this church in Ephesus. Um, and... and we don't know exactly what age he is, um, but uh, he's considered young, like amongst a lot of their congregation and amongst their people. And so Paul has, has often encouraged Timothy to be bold and given him instruction uh, on these are the ways that you should lead this church um, as, as you seek to glorify God in your time together. Uh, 
And, and what's really cool about chapter 2 that we're in right now of 2 Timothy uh, is that Paul, um, he, he really connects everything together uh, in, in, in lots of repetitive ways. Paul's kind of known for being repetitive. Um, just keep reading and you'll find out. And, uh, and, but he, he does it in a way that kind of isn't like, it's not like really clear to see how he's connecting it. He's not like connecting the dots for us. Like he kind of leaves it um, up to, I'm guessing, the Holy Spirit to be the one that, that connects some of those dots. Uh, but we're going to see today as, as we go through this passage, there's going to be some reoccurring themes from two weeks ago when Greg talked, um, where he shared about um, a soldier doesn't take part in civilian affairs, right? And, and maybe that gets some wheels turning for you. Or a farmer um, gets to um, take the first fruit like from the, from the crops, from all the work, the toil they uh, that farmer puts in, like the farmer gets to share in the, in those fruits. And then with Gary, what he shared last week, um, you'll, you'll see the theme of the gospel owns me and I own it, right? That, that the gospel has complete ownership over our lives as Jesus followers. But not only that, but then in turn, we spin it around and own the gospel to seeing that, that this is what we were made for. And so we'll see those same things. Um, today. And, and even, um, well, actually, let's read the passage, and then we'll keep going. So I'm reading out of the, the ESV, starting in verse 14 of chapter 2. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. When I first looked at this passage, uh, I was like, Paul, wow, you are going all over the place. Like, I'm a pretty tangential dude. Like, if we start talking about one thing, I'm just going to go off onto something else and somehow reconnect it back to Disney some way or another. Um, but, like, as I was reading this, like, the first time I was like, Paul, like, where is this common thread or where is there connection even between these verses? Because you're, like, sharing illustrations and you're talking about, like, irreverent speech and you're talking about Babel and then you're talking about being a proved worker. And then even, like, in different versions, you know how the Bible, like, does those little sections with the title, like, this is the approved worker section. Well, some is like, this is the false teacher section. This is the approved worker section. I'm like, what is it? <laughs> like, I, I want to know. Um and, and so as I thought about it, like I thought of um, those first words uh, where it says, remind them of these things in, in, in verse 14. And I don't know um, if, if Paul is actually, it's one of those funny things where it's like, is Paul referring to what we talked about last week? Like remind them of these things that we just talked about? Or is he saying like, remind them of these things 
and then a list, right? Almost like a laundry list, like what Sherry uh, said earlier. Um, and and, and I, I don't know. I do know, though, that Paul wanted us to remember what he said. He didn't write it just for Timothy to to um, to one in, in one ear and out the other. So he did want us to remember both of these things, I'm guessing. So then I did start viewing this almost as like a laundry list of things. Like I imagined it like when I'm uh, at, at our apartment uh, and I'm leaving to go get some eggs um, because we're all out. And then Kat is like, oh, and can you also pick up laundry detergent? And then I'm like, oh, sure. And, oh, and deodorant too. Oh, okay. And then, oh, and toothpaste. Oh, and also dog food. Ha, we don't have a dog yet, but we'll see. Um, uh, but it's almost like there's no rhyme or reason in some ways, in some ways, to what Paul's doing when I first looked at it. Um, and then I thought of the state that Paul's in. Like Paul is writing this letter from prison, and we can't forget that as we read this letter. Like we can't forget like who the writer is where he's at in his life, and what was, what was his purpose, even though God furthered the purposes of his own writing, right, to be the gospel and, and to be the truth. Um, but what was his purpose? And I imagine Paul sitting in his prison cell, wondering if, if he's never going to see Timothy again, right? This could be the last words that he writes to one of his best friends, and just like with each, with each thing he writes, like, oh, I got to share with this, with this with him. Like, if this is the last thing I'm ever going to say to Timothy, I've also got to add this. And, and he can't not know about these things. And I've got to encourage him in this way. And so thing after thing, it's almost like he's scrambling to get everything down that could possibly encourage or possibly show Timothy how much he loves him and supports him and wants him to continue to follow Jesus. And so as we look at this kind of verse by verse, let's remember that, that Paul is, is a guy that he doesn't know how many days he has left. And, and so he's, he's writing this with such urgency for Timothy to know these things. And so for my own, like, yeah, to help myself, I actually kind of like split up the verses a little bit and put them out of order from what they originally were, and don't worry, I won't like print it and have it be like a heretical version of the Bible. But, um, but so I kind of like almost put it into like the good news section, the bad news section, and then how the good news and bad news connect together at the end. Uh, and anytime you ask somebody like, hey, do you want to hear good news? Oh, I have good news and bad news, and, and, and what do you want to hear first? I think almost always people say bad news. Um, and so that's where we get to start. Awesome. Um, so second part uh, of verse 14, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Even just that expression of quarreling about words, like I was like, is half the church saying we say it, vase, and then half the church is saying, we say, vase, and then they start like, no, you're wrong, you say it wrong. No, I don't think so. Um, and for all you vase-saying people, I'm sorry, it is wrong. Um, but it's just a weird, it's not an expression that we really use, but what's going on here is that there was uh, disputes about doctrine like going on in this ch- church, or, or there was disagreements on the teachings, whether they were from Jesus or whether they were from Paul or from Timothy, um, or, or there was different understandings of Scripture or, or different beliefs that, uh, that were in um, Ephesus. And that doesn't sound too different from today, right? Like, 
let's just be honest, all of us in this room, we probably disagree about some things in our beliefs and, um, and some things that, that we don't all quite agree on. Like, for instance, if I brought every, if I just stopped everything and brought each person up here uh, and had them share what they believe about the creation account um, and what they believe is true about that, there would probably be a pretty wide like range of different beliefs about that, whether that they think that it, it, God just like spoke and bam, it all came into being, or whether God used some sort of process, process in order for that creation to take place, or whether God even used evolution. Oh man, that gets scary, um, right? Like, and that's kind of how we feel sometimes when we start to hear some of these different beliefs that maybe are different from our own. But I hope, what I think, is maybe we would hear that as every person shared um, that's following Jesus, that they'd say, I, I believe God did it, but how he did it, like, this is what I think, or this is what I think. Um, and what Paul says here, he doesn't charge Timothy for them to make sure that in every little detail they all believe the same thing and that they don't have any disagreements about it whatsoever. What he says is like, Charge them before the Lord to stop arguing about it. Like, it sounds like at Ephesus, these people are getting into these, like, knock down, th throw out, like, like, battles of words, like trying to disprove the other or trying to prove themselves right in what they believe. And I don't know if you've ever come across some people or, or maybe have even been that person that, that gets into those kind of disputes about what they believe, where it's like, it's not that they really want to hear me or understand me, but they just want to be right. Or they just want me to believe what they're saying. And man, those can be some really brutal conversations at times. And, and Paul even says that some of these arguments that are going on, um, they're hurting whoever hears it, right? Like for the other people in the church that hear these arguments where, where there's anger attached to it as well, like this is hurting the body at large that these things are going on. Because I think like disagreements will happen in the church, like just flat out. There's going to be some things that hopefully, like peacefully, we can we say like, man, I lean more this way or I lean more that way. And, and we can even just look at the world that we live in now. And like, we have tons and tons of denominations that say, well, like, we don't think that you should actually like fully live it out that we think you need to emphasize on, on this, right? There isn't like, even in the church today, as we look at a whole, like there's things that we all hold together, the gospel completely, totally true, black and white, there's like really not much room at all in the gospel that, that Christ came, that the, the Son of God came down, lived among us to be a sacrifice for many, died, rose again. Anyone who believes in him uh, shall have life, will be forgiven of their sins, that he paid for sin, that he paid for death. Like those things are what we hold on to tightly. Um, but there's other things that people choose to fight about, choose to make a huge deal about, to argue about, um, that aren't so black and white all the time. And as I've kept walking with Jesus, like one of the things that, um, that I've learned more and more, because when I first, uh, when I first started following him, like I, I, I held like everything pretty black and white. 
right? And I, and I, I walked in that. And, um, and if I ever came across somebody that didn't agree with what I believed, I was like, whoa, like, do they even know Jesus? Oh my goodness. Like they, they took that verse in a totally different way than I did. Um, oh, they're reading the message. Ooh. Um, right. Uh, and, and I had some of those judgmental like ways about me that everything was so black and white. But as I've continued to follow Jesus, one thing that that has become so true and so apparent is I don't know as much as I think I do, right? Like I am proven wrong time and time again. I remember when I was first like a high school leader, um, we did this series on relationships um, and uh the whole re- the, the series was on all different types of relationships, relationships with friends, with family, with all this kind of stuff. But we did cover dating, too. Woo. Um, so with a bunch of high schoolers, like right before homecoming or something, that was fun. Um, and, and for me, like I was in some pretty bad relationships in high school. And, and so with that, I was like, I don't think that it's smart to ever date in high school if you want to follow Jesus. Thank you for laughing, because that should be laughed at, right? Um, especially when there's like 40 high schoolers sitting in front of you. That's a great thing to say. Um, and and Wall, like from my own experience and how it worked out for me, would I go back and not date those people that I dated? Totally. But I can't choose that for everybody else. Like, And there's relationships that totally I've seen have been God-honoring. Um, that they've actually helped each other grow in their walk and relationship with Jesus as high schoolers. And so who am I to say that that never in any circumstance should people date in high school? Um, and I've been humbled time and time again um, by Jesus going, Matt, like you think you got it all down. You think you got it all right. No, let, let me show you what, what I say. Let me show you what actually matters. Because uh, any time, even if we are right about something, but any time our pride even gets a little bit into it, into it, like it's going to lead us astray. Like I could be totally, um, I could be totally, I could totally know the gospel. Can anyone fully know the gospel? Right. Um, I could totally know the gospel, but if I have an air of like pride in me as I share it, like it, it's still going to be in that state of a heart that that God doesn't want from us. I think, like, as I, as I thought about this, like, how does God want us to deal with some of these disagreements? Um, and there's a story in, in, in John 9 uh, of this man that was born blind um, and been blind his whole life until he comes across Jesus. And, and then Jesus takes some mud, spreads it across his eyes, and then for the first time, like, his eyes are opened. And then the Pharisees, they hear about this, and they bring the guy into the temple, and they're asking him question after question after question. Like, who is this? Who healed you? How did he do it? Like, is he somebody worth following? Is he a sinner? Like, question after question. And this is his response in in John 9.25. I don't know whether he is a sinner, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. Like, his statement is, I don't know all these things about who this guy Jesus is yet. But I know he brought life to a situation that, that I was stuck in. I know that he brought healing. I think sometimes we should have that same approach to Jesus of not, not pretending like we know it all, that we have all the answers, but like, man, I know my life has never been the same since following him. And I don't want to say there are no answers, right? 
There are definitely some out there. But I think the heart of first stepping in humility, saying like, I, I, I don't know everything. I just know that he changed me. He saved me. He rescued me from where I was. And then what's interesting in the story, they end up asking him more questions. And then he responds with this in John 9, 27. Look, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And I love that so much. Um, because as, as they have more questions, he almost gets like frustrated at first with them, at him, uh, them asking him more. And then, like, I love it because it's a little sassy. I think he said it a little sassy. Um, but he's like, do you want to be his disciples too? Come on, Pharisees, be honest, right? Um, but what he's saying in this, what he knows is that, like, I know if I want more answers, I'm following Jesus. Like, if I want to know more about who he is, that's what I've got to do. That's how I'm going to find truth. And the Pharisees, they didn't want to follow Jesus to find more truth. They just didn't want to be wrong. They wanted to be right. They wanted to have the power. They wanted to have the control. So in our disagreements, like whether they're biblical, whether they're like extra kind of stuff on stances we should take or whatever, like can we come together and say, you know what? Let's follow Jesus and seek truth in this together. I think there's a way when we disagree on something to not argue, to not get into these knockdown, drag out fights, right? Like about these, these things that, that ultimately Paul is saying here, like this is doing no good for anyone whether it's the believers in the church or the people that are checking out Jesus for the first time, and then this is their example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. All right, verses 16. We're going to skip 15 for now, but then verses 16 through 18, which is pretty connected. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Paul is making um, sure Timothy knows in this passage like how much power like our, our mouths have, like our speech has, our conversations have. As Sherry read earlier at the end of Proverbs um, 18, 20, verse 21, says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Like, especially as people following Jesus, with our mouths, with our voices, with what we say, we have the, the power to give life or we have the power to give death. And, and I've seen that played out in, in, in tons of, of different ways. Um, and, and that ultimately what this passage says is that whatever our mouth produces, we're going to be the ones that end up eating the fruit of it, whether that's life or whether that's death. And the church in, in, in Ephesus was falling into this death that was just spreading. Like Paul, Paul uh, reckons it with gangrene, which unfortunately I looked up what gangrene is and the pictures of it, and oh my gosh, it is terrible. Like it is one of the grosser things I've ever seen. Um, so don't look it up. And you rebels that are looking it up right now, put your phone away. That's gross. Uh, nobody needs to see that. 
Because like what kind of happens, and I don't want to butcher it, um, but what kind of happens is, is that the gangrene affects like one area of the body and then it, it brings about this sickly color and it doesn't just like take out like the outside, but it also takes out the inside and infection and all this gnarly stuff. And it doesn't just stay in that one spot. Like it ends up spreading to the rest of the body, bringing death as it goes. Because their solution back then was like, there's gangrene in the foot, lop off the foot. That's the only way to stop it, right? And Paul is talking about whatever sort of irreverent babble or speech that's going on um, in this church. He's like, you need to lop it off like because it's going to affect everything if you don't see to it that this stops like right here and right now. That our conversations with one another, the things we choose to talk about like there's potential for such life-giving conversations to happen, whether it's here on a Sunday or in our community groups or just getting together and hanging out. And unfortunately, there's so much death that can happen in our conversations too. I've seen like at youth groups, sometimes it can be like the best place for a student and it also in the same night can be the worst place for a student. Um, it can be the best place when people are actually seeking them out um, to, to know how they're doing, to know what's going on in their lives. And it can be the worst place if, if everything's just kept surface level when they're dying inside, right? And there's something that they just want to get out, that they just want to share. But, but we're, just, we're only talking about the Camus football game from last Friday. Or, or we're only talking about, like, the Bachelorette. Not that I would ever. Greg does that. Um, <laughs> Um, we talk just about these meaningless things. And I wonder if sometimes when we gather together on a Sunday, we come in not thinking about like, man, I have the opportunity to speak life into my brothers and sisters' lives this morning. Not just whoever's up front. Like all of us have that opportunity to speak life. And, and, and sometimes I, I listen to, um, oh, wow, I can't even think of what it's called now. Um, it's like that poetic word. Um, Spoken word, thank you. Uh, I listen to spoken word, and there's this guy named Ezekiel that says, like, one of the, the, the biggest causing, like, gangrene or death things in the church is, is when we see someone that, that maybe is in a place where we know we need to talk to them and go deeper than surface level, and we just keep our mouths closed, right? And we just pass by. We're no, we're no better than the Samaritans, um, uh, no better than, than those that pass the good Samaritan uh, on the path and just pass by like he wasn't in any trouble. And so some ways that while, while here it's kind of talking about false teaching, most likely is what Irreverent Babel kind of leads, leaves it a little bit open. Um, there, there could be other things going on, and there, there's things that, well, I don't know if false teaching is going on in our, our church. I, I hope not. Like I, don't, I, I, don't, I haven't had enough conversations with everyone to know if that's the case or not. But there are things that I see in today's uh, age that can go on that cause some of these gangrene-ish things, things like gossip, where instead of going and talking to someone about something, that we go and talk to, to others, right? That we don't actually settle a dispute with who the dispute needs to take place with, that, that we can end up just talking about things that don't matter all the time. We can just talk about surface things. We could never actually share what's going on in our lives. That brings death. Like, we were created to be known. 
And if we come to this place and, and we're still not known, whether we haven't sought to know others or we're not seeking for others to know us, that's a problem. Like That isn't what Jesus intended for his church. So I almost came up with this like kind of diagnostic for us to run our, our conversations through or our speech through. And the first one, is it purposeful? Like, is there purpose in what we say to one another? Or is it something that's just empty, right? Are we just saying it just to say it? Uh, with some of my friends, like, I talk about sports quite a bit. But if I, if I just kept it at sports all the time, that wouldn't have a whole ton of purpose. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter. But if, if, I can, if I can use that to, to open the conversation a little bit more, to come to a place where we're, we're relating on something and then talk about life, like there's totally purpose behind that. Is it beneficial? Like, is this something that is benefit to the hearer? Uh, with youth group, like, I have to do this quite a bit with students where because of the season or place that they're in in life, I may have all these things that I think that they need to know, but maybe they don't need to know it right now because it's not beneficial to where they're at. And I think sometimes we don't run our speech through that filter of like, because we think like, this was so important for me. Like, I've got to share this with them. Um, but the Holy Spirit knows where they're at. We should be asking him, like, is this good for me to share with them right now? Or is, this, is it better for me just to listen to them? And then is it edifying? Is it glorifying? Is this an encouragement um, uh, to this person? Is this something that's going to build them up? And ultimately, does it build up and praise God more than it builds ourselves up by sharing it? Paul even points out that Hymenaeus and Philetus, um, two dudes you don't want their name and you don't want to follow their example, um, because they swerved from the truth altogether, um, because they were stuck in whatever sort of talk that wasn't focused on Jesus. All right, now we're getting to the good news. I'm going to go quickly. Verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, ashamed, rightly handling the truth. And approval is such like a trigger word, like in our society, I think. Um, because I think we all seek approval, at, at least at some point in our life, if, if not multiple times. That could be from a huge group of people. That could just be from that one person where you just wish that they would acknowledge that you did a good job. And approval is something, especially in the faith, that like feels like kind of weird or off. Like, wait, I, I do have to gain God's approval in something? Because in salvation, that's not the case whatsoever, right? It's by grace alone, faith alone, that we've been saved. In no way could we earn or gain uh, God's approval of us by saying that he would die on the cross. There's no possible way that we could do that. Grace is such a crazy concept that Jesus would do that before we could ever even put feet to loving him, that he died for us. And in John 15, it says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And in Hebrews, Jesus says, uh, I'm not ashamed to call um, them my brothers or sisters, right? That there is this approval that we already have. But what are we approved for? right? Like at ETV a couple years ago, we had this saying, rescued for what? Um, so what approval for what? Right? Like what were we approved to do? Was it just for us to be saved and then just be like, all right, now I've got a good life. Like after that, like I've been saved and I'll be in heaven someday. 
In John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. We get to continue to live into, not up to, Jesus' approval of us. Right? This becomes something that takes over our full identity of saying, I'm going to live into who Jesus says I am. And he says that I'm one approved, one that should go out with the gospel, spreading the good news. Not live up to. That's reaching. That's trying to grasp something that's ungraspable. Instead, living into is becoming one that is approved. And so how do we do that unashamed? So if I, if I looked back at how I, um, how I was in school, in high school, and I had to tell you all the kind of student I was and the work that I put towards different assignments and projects, I'd be very ashamed um, because I did not try very hard like whatsoever. I skated by in almost every class and slept through almost every class. Um, when we stand before Jesus, or even just in our hearts now, like can we look back at the work that we've put towards the gospel going out for others to know the hope and the life and the light that Jesus has and stand in front of Jesus and not be ashamed, right? That we've actually put feet to what he called us to do. That it's not just like, ah, oh, dang it, like I wasted so much time. I got to spend a little time with this guy Clark last night who has terminal cancer. And um, and he, uh, what he's frustrated with most is he doesn't want to die yet because he feels like he still has so much work to do for God's kingdom. Like, I want to live under that. That, that man, like, you can't, you can't take my life yet, Jesus. Like, there's so much more that I want to do. So much more for your name. So much more in my neighbor's lives. So much more in my friends' and family's lives. Like, I don't want to go yet. I'd rather stay in this pain than leave. Do we think about working for God, which is also just a weird concept, but living for God in that way of his gospel going out, that, that, that we want to continue to live into that more and more and more? Verses 20 through 21. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This illustration, while it's a little confusing, it asks us the question of what kind of worker do we want to be for the gospel? Because there's this gold and these silver objects that, that are for the best of uses, Right? And we shouldn't take things that have awesome uses and use them for other dumb uses. We got a Ninja blender recently uh, after we got married. Really awesome blender. Uh, and one time I was setting up for Young Life. I was the only one there. And there was a zip tie um, around this cord that I had just bought. And uh, I didn't have anything sharp besides we had a blender there, our Ninja blender. So I took out the blades and I start trying to saw at uh, the zip tie. Thankfully, I have all 10 digits still, um, but uh, a Ninja Blender blade should not be used to try and saw a, a zip tie. I cut my finger pretty good um, that night and was bleeding on my guitar. It was great. Uh, but this is showing, like, like that's, that's not something you should use a, 
blender blade for, right? Especially when it's called a ninja. What ninja cuts zip ties? Um, like there, there are better uses for this. And so what Paul's saying is like, if you want to live into the honorable uses that God has set up for you, stop trying to live into things that you weren't meant for, that you weren't created for. And to wrap this whole passage together in verse 19, it says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows whose are his and let everyone whose name, who names the Lord, names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Like we have to put off like this kind of arguing or this irreverent babble or this speech that does us no good if we truly want to live into like who God says we are and what he has for us, the good works of being a worker that is approved, knowing that we don't have to be ashamed before Jesus. Because if we're in these constant arguments or in these constant things of lack of meaning with our brothers and sisters, um, we're not going to stand before Jesus and be able to say, Lord, I live my life to the full for your kingdom and for your glory. And so Paul's saying, put off these dishonorable uses and keep going on as an approved worker for what God actually created you for. So as we end, um, do you see yourself as God's gospel worker first and foremost? Is that your identity? Is that who you are? Is that more important than any kind of work that you could do for your job? Any kind of work that you could do for your family? Anything that you could possibly earn or achieve? Like, is, is the fact that God has given us his spirit to go out to the world to share his, his truth, is that the thing that is your full identity of who you are? And are there things that get in the way that we need to cast off so that we can live for Jesus more as his good workers? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you're the ones that have approved us, Jesus. And and there's nothing that we could do to earn that. Yet you have set in front of us such good works and such good things to live into and to step into. Um, God, would we cast off whatever we need to so that we can live for you more, that we can be your workers, um, that we would actually want to see Uh, life come into our community here in Camas. Hope come into this community. Thank you, Lord, that we're only going to do that by you and through you. In your name, amen.